Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 4-24-2022, and we're continuing with our, um, our service, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. Okay, here we have the thought of the week, and I noticed the translation for the verse that is given from ESV. I do want to include <laughs> I do want to include verse 14 so we know who we're talking about in context of 15, which really is making a point. So starting with 14, he for he himself, who is Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There are many features to discuss in the phrase. Let's start with the word new. The Greek, kahinos, of a new kind unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of. Those are definitions taken from Thayer. This word is in contrast to the other word for new, which is neos, and means new with reference to time. Freshness, young, or youth. The new that God has in mind is a new that is never heard or seen before. I like the word unprecedented. There is no prior standard for what God has made of us. Therefore, the only way we can be defined is by God himself. He must look to, uh, we must look to God for who and what we are. Since God created something uniquely new, there must be a new purpose for that new man. Further, for us to function as that new man, we would need operating instructions defining our function, purpose, and proper use. Also, we are described as a new man, which says that we can operate on the earth and interact with this world, with our new identity, of course. However, there are great differences which can be noted. God has patterned this new man after the Lord Jesus Christ. Quote, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, unquote. That is taken from Romans chapter 8, verse 29. This one new man is destined to be just like Christ. What is Jesus Christ's life? This has been the subject of much controversy over the centuries. However, the answer is that Jesus is the God man. He is one person with two natures. He is undiminished deity and true humanity in one person forever. That state has never been the case for a member of the Trinity. In our case, this, is never, this has never happened to any man before. Therefore, we are called one new man. And that is the thought of the week. I'd like to offer some commentary on that. 
one thing to note is that this one new man that we are created to be in Christ is something that is new and unique to the church age. So in the Old Testament, we do see that the Spirit has anointed people. But to be, um, to be with two natures is something unique. This also reminds me of the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17, probably one of my favorites here, that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it goes on to say that we have a message of reconciliation with God, that God is not counting our sins against us. And um, this is the message that we have as ambassadors of Christ to give to the world. And to me, this is not only good news, the good news is salvation. This is great news. The fact that we are something that God has made his um, magnum opus, that we are his... um, we are his trophy, to put it that way, um, that we are the ones that he will show to the angels and of people of different generations, uh, different uh, different uh, administrations to show that we are his pride. And we are, we will be one of many brothers and brought into glory for his purpose. And that is my commentary on the uh, thought of the week, and we'll turn it over to Dave for prayer. Thank you, Dave. Amen. Hello, thanks for what? Tell me, do I have any special prayer requests? Uh, Dave, it sounds like your voice is a little garbled. Could you could you say that again? Oh, there it is. Now, now you're back. Okay, <laughs> go right ahead. Well, there's no more that we special prayer because that's taken to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we look to you, Lord, which comes as our strength, Father. We ask you for you, Father, to bless those on this call, Father. We ask you, Lord, to look over those who are in need, Father, those of, of, of have any health problems, Father. We ask you, Lord, to bless those, Father. Father, we ask that you, Lord, to come to you, Lord, today, Father, because we know that without Christ, we can do nothing, Father. For it's by grace we are saved through faith. It is not coming from us, Father, to give of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, we ask that you, Lord, to bless the service, Father, bless the Lord on his call, Father. And whoever has not had a chance to believe in Christ, Father, is your opportunity, Lord, to tell Father, we believe it in your only begotten Son, Father. Father, as we continue on this study, Father, we ask that you, through the Spirit, to teach us your word, Father, so we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this blessing we ask you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. Much appreciated. We're, we're shifting gears and moving into uh, what we want to talk about, which is John seventeen sixteen. This is, uh, it says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Uh, quite interesting verse, as we have covered some of this already, uh, but we, we will get into it. The work of God, 
in establishing the church in this world is remarkable. The planting of the church in enemy territory demands that God provide protection for us. Further, there is the baptism of the Spirit which takes us out of the world and distinguishes us and separates us from the world. As our minds are transformed, our thinking becomes distant from this world and more focused on things above. We have been changed from the inside by our identification with Christ and outside by the Spirit's renovation of our thinking. That could not be said of anyone prior to this age's spiritual dynamics. As we begin to see that we do not belong here, we must ask the question, why are we here? So this is hopefully uh, some of the thoughts that we can answer uh, in this verse. And to note, they are not of the world. And we covered this in verse 14. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Pretty definitive statement about us. I mean, if we think about the fact that just because God saved us, it does not necessarily follow that we are not of the world. Not of the world is a statement that is pretty profound. It is out there. If somebody were to declare today that they were not of this world, we would think that they're aliens or something from another planet or from another world. <laughs> Literally, if we're going to take that and say, well, we're not of this world. Well, where are you from then? If that's, if I may ask, where are you from? They say Mars or Venus. I think we'll we'll kind of we could play around with that, but in reality, not of this world is a thought that is really out there. Uh, and the Bible uses this thought pretty frequently for us. I mean, we we can find it interspersed throughout much of the New Testament, and it is unique to us as well. But this did not happen for anybody else. Uh, not of this world is not a designation we could say for Israel because God put Israel in this world. They were Jews and then there were Gentiles. Uh, so there was Israel and then there were the nations. But we are not of this world. We need to really think about this thought. Just makes is this a metaphor or something that God is telling us we're not of this world? Hey, I was born here. We're going to get to all those questions and those thoughts. But what we already have covered in verse 14 is quite a lot. We talked about why it is he has chosen us before time began, before the world was created. We were chosen. God had us in mind and he chose us. And... Uh, it stems from that point. So now, if we're talking about the things of men, then yeah, it's kind of impossible for me to say I'm not of this world. But when we're talking about the things of God, 
then all things are possible. Or, or let's just say things that are not possible with men are not a limitation for God. God can do what he wants. Obviously, creation, if that's in the, in the indication of uh, his power and his ability, then he can do anything he wants to do. He's God. So let's dig in. There's a couple thoughts here. As I said, we covered this statement in, earlier in verse 14, and hopefully you have the notes from then if you wanted to review it. But we're, we see there are many applications to this thought. Many throughout the New Testament. So I wanted to just bring some of them. I couldn't bring all of them. Otherwise, we'd be here for a long time. But I, I, there's much more for you to glean of scriptures about how we don't belong here. I didn't even bring any, any of the Second Corinthians chapter 5 scriptures here. We, we kind of covered a lot of those in <clears throat> the verse 14. So let's look at some of the applications to our understanding of not in this world. Okay, so the first one is we're not of the world. Uh, because of the baptism of the Spirit. <clears throat> if we look at John 17, 20 and 21, we have reference to that. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So this you are in me and I am in you part, that's the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what we get. I know a lot of people think baptism in the Holy Spirit is some sort of emotional thing. But when we really look closely, Jesus is saying, this is what, when the Spirit comes, will happen. Especially in John 14, uh, 19, 20 through 23. He tells us what the results of the baptism of the Holy Spirit are. So we can expect, as he continues to pray to the Father, that we're all going to be one through the means of the baptism of the Spirit. And we know 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, By one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. That's the body of Christ. It's church. These are names for designations for this new entity that God created. So there you have what distinguishes us, what separates us from this world is what God did with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then point number two, we're not of this world because I have given them the word. Now the word, same thing we read in 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated him. Why? For they are not of the world. Well, what does the word say? <laughs> that the world will hate them. It says that they are not of the world. This is part of what God, the work that God has done for us. In 14, that, that's how we, we, we should see what he's saying. I've given them your word. He's told us about what's coming. What's coming is when the Spirit comes, when he comes, when the advocate, the Spirit of truth. He kept saying these things in this discourse so that helps us understand there's an event on the horizon. What is that event? It's Pentecost. So when he says, I have given them the wor your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
Yeah, so the word defines who us, who we are. And I, and I said that in the opening, uh, or actually in the thought of the week, there was some reference to that thought. That if God created something brand new, something never before seen, he's the only one that can define what its properties and function are. God tells us who we are and what we are. And how did he do it? It's through his word. And this language here in 21, that all, in other words, in order that all of them may be one, this is 1721, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Interesting language. That's the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word defines us. And then we're not of this world means we don't belong to this world. That's John 15 and 19. If we skip over to John 15, we've learned quite a lot from these thoughts. And I'll just read 19. It says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. So the choosing of these disciples is to take them from a position that they were in, but to take them out of that position. I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So that's, that's an, that thought is we don't belong here. And uh, including the next thought, which says we are chosen out of the world. That's point three and four in our notes. They both come from that one verse. We don't belong here. This is, world is not our home. This is not where we hail from. Somebody says, where are you from? I'm from New Jersey. I'm from Florida. I'm from wherever. No. Where are you from? You're, you're from out of this world. You're from somewhere else. And we already know where we belong. We might as well say it. We're in heavenly in the heaven in the heavenly realms. This is the new home for us, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But we got a new place where we belong. If we know if this tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building of God. Not built with human hands. It's not even a human thing. It's something God has prepared for us. It's as much as what Jesus said in John 14. He says, don't worry, I'm going away, but I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Well, where is he? He's in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's where he is. He's in heaven. He says that where I am, there you may be also. He says, I'm going to my Father's house. And if this were not so, would I have told you this? In other words, to Jesus, this is very obvious. It's not something where, let's figure, let's get a, a quadratic equation to figure this out. This is something that's very, I'm telling you plainly. I'm going to the Father's house. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and bring you there too. Why are we going there? Because we belong there, according to 2 Corinthians 5. This is our new home. So, that's point three and four. Point five, we're not of this world, meaning we should be mission-oriented. 
If, since we're not, we don't belong down here, well, what are we doing down here? God has a mission for us. John 17, 18. Let's look at some of the verses that I've associated with this. 17, 18 says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Wow. Just imagine. <clears throat> Christ was sent in the world, into the world by the Father. Christ is saying, in the same way the Father sent me, and I'm not of the world, first of all. It sent me means I came from somewhere. I came from there, where the Father is. He sent me into the world. He says, in the same way that was, that's how it is with you, you all. I am sending you into the world. So we have a mission here. And then there's Philippians 3.20. This... Some of these verses are very, I mean, there's just a, enough for us to glean. I'm just going to read it. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Wow, that verse is poignant. Our citizenship? We have citizenship? You know, I think we were just talking about earlier... It, we were talking about vacation spots. and if, But if you stay there, Mitzi was saying it, if you stay there so long, you become a citizen of that place. Well, meaning you have to pay taxes and so forth. But here is saying, our citizenship, our citizenship is already in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it was the same thing he said in John 14, he says, I'm going to come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. He's going to come. And so what are we doing? We're waiting eagerly for him to come. That's pretty clear to me anyway. So we should, what are we doing down here? Well, God sent us here for a reason. And I think that reason is, uh, John, I don't know if it's in our notes. I might have it, but I'm going to just say it now because obviously I should have said it if I didn't already. So John 15 uh, and verse 27. We can start at 26. When the advocate comes, this is John 15, 26. We covered this, I know, in uh, the 14, John 17, 14, when we dealt with it. But when the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that's Pentecost, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So, so the, he's got work to do in this world. And in verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So the, there's something for the disciples and us to do, as well as, uh, like Jesus came, he had work to do. We're here in the world because we got work to do. We must testify of who Christ is to the world. That is the thought here. That is the goal. And, and so I'm, I'm seeing that as the purpose for why we're here. We have to be mission-oriented. Well, we won't belong here. It's not our home. So why are we here? Well, it's a mission-orientation that we have to come to. Point six in our notes. Not of the world, <laughs> So some other thoughts, Do, that means you should not love the world. 
don't be devoted to the world. Don't have your interests and dreams and ambitions, you know, that this world is going to fulfill. This is not to say we can't enjoy the things that are beautiful in this world, because that still is God's creation. However, what Satan has done with this world, and we talked about the orderly arrangement or cosmos of this world, he has done that for the destruction of who we are. The world's going to hate us. The world will not bend or yield to us. It doesn't matter what we give the world, the world's going to hate us because of who we are. Jesus says, don't, don't think it's the world hates you because of who you are. It's hated me first. It's about me. It's not about you. So do not love the world and it, because it will not love you. It's not going to love you back. There won't be any reciprocal love because you love the world. Now the world's going to do something for you. And those classic verses are 1 John. I know you've read them. 1 John chapter 2. Um, 15 through 17. Let's look at them. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love love of the Father for the Father is not in him. We mean love for the Father. That means love for the Father's plan. That's what God has made of us. We don't belong down here. We're only here for a mission to do a job. And we may leave when God is done Right. Well, our service is done. This is what we say when when somebody in the military, we find out they were they had military service. We say, thank you for your service. That's a, such a common phrase. It should be a common phrase for believers who leave as well. Thank you for your service. Because we served in the world and now we're going home. Uh, verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Well, the world doesn't, who, who are we really talking about? The world personified is really Satan. He's the one pulling the strings. He's the one orderly arranging the way he wants it. And so don't, don't look at it like, oh, the world itself just hates you. It's endemic to the world. No, it's it's the ruler of the world that he's referring to. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So just imagine the world's going to pass away. What you see, this arrangement of things that's here now, will not last throughout eternity. It will, it, it will eventually be gone. So you're loving the world is like putting all your money in a stock that you know is going to decline, that's going to go bankrupt. But you continue to pump more money into it with hopes that somehow it will turn around, but it won't. The world and its desires, all of the, what he just said, all that stuff, if you are caught up in that, it's going to pass away. It's not going to last God's going to destroy this world. We saw in Revelation, we saw in 2 Thessalonians and other places, 2 Peter, this world will be destroyed. It will not survive. So we have to look toward the next phase once 
this part of human history is over. We, there won't be anything of it. It won't even be remembered, it says. It will be forgotten. God will wipe all tears away from their eyes. There won't be any more death, no more uh, war, no, on and on. All the things that are very common to us and very clear in this world will all pass away. The power structures, the pride, all of that will pass away. And then, point seven in our notes. Not of this world. So, meaning the evils of the world are not a reflection on the church. Now, this, this is a big one. These last couple ones are big because our separation from the world is done by the baptism of the Spirit, right? God is, even if you don't know it, and you're in this age and you believed in Christ, then this happened to you. It's almost like in Romans chapter 6, where Paul is telling those uh, people, he says, what? Do you not know that so many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, that like as Christ was? Right, so that's Romans 6, 3 and 4. <laughs> but... He starts out with, do you not know? Know not, as the King James would say. Know ye not? There's a lot of ways to say it, but the point is, are you ignorant? Yeah, they were ignorant of the facts of what God had done. So Paul, in his way, is trying to teach people that by using that language to help people understand. It is a matter that we have to learn, that we, we don't automatically feel like we're not in the world. We just... It happens, and then God did it. He did the work, and now we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in order to understand it and to be clear about who we are in this world. So a lot of people think that the world somehow is a reflection on them. Like, what's going on in the world? How terrible, we say. Oh, there's some, th there's some things that are so bad in this world, and they're exasperated. You know, they just feel like they're at the end of the road. What are we going to do? The world is evil. Well, we know the world is evil. It is not redeemable. It will be destroyed. Now, all this we have to keep in mind. Why? You know, we're, we're not prophets of doom. Like if somebody says to us, how things? Woe is me. The world is failing. All is lost. You know, that's not the attitude. Not at all. The world is evil. We know the world is evil. That's why he tells us don't love the world. Don't commit to it. Don't be devoted to it. Don't adore the things that are in this world. Because they're evil. They're designed by Satan to destroy you and to destroy God's plan. To disrupt his government. They're not for us. Like I said, who could be against us? Well, none of these things are for us in the world. God has a plan for us. God has a mission for us. And there's another place that he has for us. So don't look at the world as a reflection. Oh, there's so many things going on in the world. And are we beholden to think, well, if we, that leads us to the next point, that we're not of this world. Let's be clear. We are not here to reform the world, but to help save lost souls. When I think about it, and I'm, I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 23, but 
the whole context of that is certainly important for us to keep in mind. But just note, you can't help the world. Just like the sin nature. The sin nature will, will never submit to God. Neither can it. it. It doesn't have within itself the ability to submit to the law. It is inherently rebellious to God. You, and that's the nature that we inherited from Adam. It is a nature that just rises its fist in the air and shouts, I will not. I will do what I want to do. And that's the end of the story, God. Don't tell me what to do. It is rebellious at its core. That's what was in us from birth. So God is he's saying, that can't. there's no reformation for a rebellious nature. There's only destruction. God will destroy that nature. He will destroy this world. Everything that you see, Peter says, will melt. All the institutions, all of the buildings, everything that reminds us of what this world was will be destroyed. And it's, as I said, the world does not reflect us. We're not in the world because because we're in the world, the world somehow is going to now change because we're in it and we have different standards than the world has. No. What, what is the world going to do? Hate us. That's what the world's going to do. They will hate us. They won't say, oh, you know, those are great standards that you guys have. No, they will hate us. They will persecute us. So we cannot... Ref this, the world is not reformable. I don't care how many steps, if it's 10, 12 steps, it's not going to be reformed. It's a lost cause. So, so we said why, why we're here, right, is to save, to help God save lost souls. That's it. Well, obviously, there's other purposes where we are to grow in grace and come to the knowledge of the truth, and all of that is also on our plate, but we're ambassadors for Christ. Ministers of reconciliation, says 2 Corinthians 5. So let's be clear as we walk around in this world. Don't look at like, oh, there's evils in this world. We need to change them. People are doing bad things. We need to work on that. that. That's not it. In fact, what we come to tell them is that God is not counting their sins against them. Wow, it's the opposite of what people think in religion today. People think in religion that, well, we need to get in there, pass laws, do things, help them understand, make them understand that this is wrong. This behavior, whatever it is, whatever the behavior is, what do we expect in this world? Are we expecting that the world will somehow be reformed? Or that our presence here is going to somehow cause a reformation in this world? And then Christ won't need to come. <laughs> the millennium will already be set. That's not the case. It is not the case. So let's be clear about it. As we approach this world, let's not be surprised and, whoa, you know, I never, they got a new... L-G-B-Q-T-F or whatever it is now. Okay, fine. How does that stop God from us telling them what the gospel is? How does it stop? Does it stop you in your tracks? Well, yeah, maybe it will, but it shouldn't. Because remember, God 
is not counting their sins against them. It's not about sin. We still have a message for them, but it's not about sin. It's about Christ. That we must testify about him. Let's make sure, I only make this point to say, let's be clear. We are not for the things in this world. We don't are not encouraged to love the things in this world. But what are we supposed to do to these that are lost people out there? They all came from somewhere, just like we did. <laughs> just like we did. Let's just be clear. 1 Corinthians 9, 23. Now, you, this would be a good verse to read, but I want to read around it, just what Paul says. Uh, 21. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. Win them means help them come to Christ. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Right? They might come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's not... That's the goal. That's our mission here. Verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. By itself, right? This is Paul saying, my motivation is this, that I may share in its blessing. It is a blessing to be able to lead somebody to Christ. Now, obviously, we are not the ones leading them. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who is working behind the scenes in that person's heart. The Holy Spirit is using us to speak the words of life. But when you see all that going on in a person, and you see that person coming to faith in Christ and becoming interested in the things of God, it is remarkable. It's notable. It's something, it is a blessing to see God literally at work, miraculously changing the minds of people from, I hate Christ, he was only an expletive that I used to use, to now he's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing when you see that. Paul is saying, I'm doing all that. I don't care if they're Jews. I don't care if they're Gentiles. I don't care if they don't have any law, meaning they're barbaric or Scythian or whatever they are. I don't care. I just want to win them to Christ. And I will partner with them. I, like Christ came... And you know, all the people, the Pharisees wouldn't even talk to those people. If they saw them, they might go on the other side of the street. The sinners, the tax collectors, those who were, were the dregs in society. And Christ picked one of them. He picked Matthew, who was a tax collector, hated. Everybody hates taxes to pay taxes. And then they were stealing money as well. Here, Christ picked a tax collector to be one of the disciples. Unbelievable. He was, and sinners, people who were street people, didn't have a problem hanging around Christ because he didn't judge them. That's why. He had in his mind the same thing the Apostle Paul had in his mind, that I might save some. And that's our mission here. We should be clear about that. We're here to save the lost souls. We can't redeem the world, right? Telling them what the law says is not going to help them. 
we have to help them understand who Christ is. And Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, will help us be what God wants us to be. Like that verse in 1 Peter 3.15. We ought to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that we have. We ought to do it with gentleness and respect. That's our role as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation in this world. All right, we're we're moving forward. That was just the first point, okay? So so point B there, who is not of the world? This is some wordplay here. Just just go, go to John 17 for this. John 17. So... So they are not of the world, and I ask, who is not of this world? They, it says, are not. They, and who are they? Those who will believe in me through their message. That's John 17 and 20. So when he says they are not of this world, he's not just talking about the disciples who are standing there in front of him, the eleven. He's talking about, as we look at verse 20, those who will believe in me through their message. That's, and that includes us. I, I, I'm there and all of you are. So then point C, that all of them, if we look at verse 21, so it's not just the disciples who are the founding members, the apostles of the church, but it's those of all of them. And, and that is them and us, right? If we include all of us, all of them meaning the disciples who are the foundation and us as well. The foundation and the building of us on the foundation. We are built on the foundation. The foundation is apostles, prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. We're going to read Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, just to solidify what we're saying here. I know we make reference to this all the time, but now it's time to read it. So 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Now he's talking about Gentiles here. Gentiles did not have a plan, like a purpose in the plan of God, like God was, they were always the recipients of people giving them the gospel. But now Gentiles have a plan, a place in God's plan where they are called to be ambassadors. They are called to be ministers of reconciliation. They're the church. They're part in the church. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles combined. Once you come in and, you know, once you're combined in, in Christ, once you are baptized into Christ, There is no longer, you might have been a Jew, you might have been a Gentile, but not anymore. You're in Christ now. You are the body of Christ, the church. So it says we are built on the foundation. Notice, that's us, the Gentiles. Well, Jews too are built on the foundation. This is what, what I was saying in that point B verse, that the foundation and the building of us on the foundation. That's what the, the them and us means in that verse. 
So let's say built on the foundation of, of the apostles and prophets. And these are New Testament prophets. We already know what's New Testament apostles. There were no apostles in the Old Testament. But New Testament prophets, right? Not just Isaiah and all them, right? Uh, Moses. New Testament prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So this, this is the foundation that we have. And we're built on it. And there's a lot more that could be said in those two verses, but that's my point so far in those verses. Let's go back to our notes. And we finished point C, that all of them, and that reverts to verse 21, that all that is them and us. All of them means them and us. The foundation and those who are, you know, the ones that are being built on the foundation. All right. We're moving on to point two. So we, we talked about they are not of the world. Now we need to talk about even as I am not of it. So uh, the first point is um, the result of the baptism of the Spirit is what we are identified with the person. That we are identified with the person of Christ. What is true of him is true of us. So if Christ is saying they are no, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it, so we have to understand the instrument that helped us to be separated from the world, and that's what God did through the baptism of the Spirit. What is whenever we say baptism, a word should come to mind, and what is that? Identification. One object is identified with another object, so that the properties of that object have been changed to the properties of the object it has been identified with. You don't have to remember all that. Just think identify. Right? Identification is what happens when baptism. And this baptism is real baptism, meaning God the Holy Spirit literally took you out of Adam and he has united you with the person of Christ. So um, so we we now can say what is true of Christ is true of us. And we're, we're, we got more to say around that, but that is a result of the baptism of the Spirit. We are like him in this world, says 1 John chapter 4. So point B, why is Christ not of this world? Why? Now, let's just deal with this because he says, even as I am not of it. Christ is saying he's not of the world. So I'm asking the question, why is Christ not of this world? We don't see this as being insolent or something, but I'm just asking the question so that we can understand it. Wasn't he born here? John 1.14, the Bible says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yeah, it says that. So it seems like he was born into this world. But he is saying he is not of this world. Even as I am not of it. That's not the only place. Uh, we said that in 14, he says, uh, they're not of the world anymore, just as I am not of the world. Why? Because the baptism of the Spirit took us and united us with the person of Christ. The person of Christ is not a part of this world. So let's look at the differences here. Point B. Oh, that was point. Yeah, yeah, point B. Why is Christ... Not of this world. That's what we covered, right? He was born into this world. Now we're going to point C. That was when, and, and I say yes, that was when his person took 
human nature. That, that's, that's what happened in John 1.14. It literally says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory as the only begotten Son of God, right? So, full of grace and truth. So that, <clears throat> he, what happened there was he got, the person of Christ took a human nature. Why do we say word? Because, as I say in this, this point C, however, the person of Christ always existed as God and never had a beginning. So if we look at John, go back to John 1, 1 through 3, uh, this is part of where we get this term, the word, right? And it identifies a person. Let's look at it, John 1. In the beginning was the word. So what we're going to see that the beginning here is not the beginning of all time or the beginning of God or the beginning of Jesus or anything. It's the beginning here. Uh, it says, was the word. So whatever beginning that we're talking about, the word was already there. And then in verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the word beginning here doesn't mean the beginning of God. It just is talking about creation, the beginning of creation. That's what it's referring to. And the beginning, the word was there. The word is the one that created all things. He had to have been there. And the word was with God. Okay, so now you got two entities here. You got the word, and he's along with God. You wouldn't say the word, if he's, if, if he's the only person there, you wouldn't say, and, and the word was with his human nature or with his divine nature. I wouldn't say there, and, and there was a person, Bill or Dave, and they were with their same person. No, it doesn't make sense. There are two persons here. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the, so the Word, in essence, was God, but he's not the same person as the God in verse 1. So he was with God. God in the beginning for more emphasis. So the beginning, we already know, the beginning is creation. And we're talking about two persons. One, the word, and the other one is the God, which you don't see in the English, but in the Greek it has the definite article before God, emphasizing the quality, uh, emphasizing the person of God the Father. And when it says, in the word was God, there is no definite article, meaning it emphasizes the quality of the noun, theos. And it emphasizes that quality, meaning the word himself was, in essence, God. Not the same person as God the Father, but has the same nature. Well, he just did uh, a God thing in verse 3. He created all things. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he wasn't made. That's pretty clear. So anyway, we're just trying to help help you. I'm just trying to help understand when it's Christ says he was not of this world. But he, and I said he was born here. Yeah, he was. But that wasn't his beginning. He doesn't have a beginning. He, he eternally existed. He always existed. He never had a beginning. In Ephesians 1, 4, 
It says, uh, just, well, I could quote it, but I'm going to read it. I think it might be appropriate to read it. Ephesians 1, 4. It says, for he chose us in him. Now, who is this? Who's him? Christ. So, God the Father, who's what we're talking about here. Praise, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms <clears throat> with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. This is God the Father chose us to be in Christ. When did this happen, though? When? Before the creation of the world. So we know who created the world because we read John 1, 1. We saw it was Christ himself. He's the one who's the creator, but was the Father who ordained it. All things were made through him, and without him there was not one thing made that has been made. So, but before creation, we were chosen to be in him. And it says, to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is before the creation of the world. Before. There's a lot of planning going on here then. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. All this is before the creation of the world. That's how we have to see this. This is about us. Can you believe it? How can you even know it? That's why we were reading earlier, what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man. These are the things God has prepared for us who love him. And then it says, the Holy Spirit has made these things known to us. We couldn't know them any kind of way because there was no creation. We're not even talking about there's no United States. We're talking about there was no creation before the creation of the world. There was no creation. It seems pretty simple to, to understand, but it stretches our understanding, doesn't it? Point D. When are we identified with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection? For that, we just need to go to Romans 6.3. So we're, even when Christ did come into the world, when he did come into the world, when are we identified with him? When? So 6.3 says, or do you not know? This is what I was telling you before, that you, this is something you have to learn. What is it? The baptism of the Spirit, how we were identified with Christ. And it's something you could not know. This is You could be ignorant of this, but it's okay. It's something we got to we, we, we're here. It's here for us to learn. Not, Paul's not chiding them from the standpoint of, oh, you're stupid because you don't know this. No, he's trying to teach this so that people do know it. So, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, notice. <laughs> so, going back to our point here in um, point D, when... Are we identified with Christ? Identify means baptized, remember, with Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we came from understanding of Romans 6.3. So, so think about it just for a second. His death. You could say well, we're, we're identified with Christ and his birth. Well, he's the last Adam. Right? 
and we are, if you think about who we are, I just want to show you, because if we, if Christ came as the last Adam, and he lived a perfect life, and God the Father was satisfied with that, then he went to the cross, and he died for our sins, we could say, well, we, we should I be identified with Christ in his life, right? But no, this says that we were identified or baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Not his life, his earthly human life, but his death. And we know death is a separation. Well, I know this is in our notes, but you could add it to yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll come back to this thought, but we're, this will help augment it, hopefully. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47 through 49. The first man was of the dust of the earth. We know who that is. That's Adam. God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. Right? You know that part from Genesis. The second man, who's the second man? It's Christ, the Lord. Right? He became flesh and made his dwelling among us is of heaven. Notice, he didn't, he's not of the earth. He's not from here. He's of heaven. Uh, well, we already know that, right? We saw that part already. Christ is not from here. We saw that from the Word. He's the Creator, but yet, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But here is saying the second man, where he's from, he's, he's of heaven. As, verse 48, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. Well, that's everybody born in Adam. Well, they're going to be of the earth like Adam. And that's where they hail from, the earth. But as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of what? Earth. Oh, I'm sorry. He says heaven. We're of heaven. <laughs> so, so the earthly man is of earth, and there are those who are of earth too, because they are after the earthly man. But as is the heavenly man, notice the heavenly man. The heavenly man. Huh. Interesting choice of words here, Paul. So also are those who are of heaven. You're of heaven. I, I, I'm just trying to say it in all the ways I can. Verse 49, let's just put the cap on it. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we have, we all have, we were born in Adam, lost, spiritually dead, condemned, right? the old sin nature, all of that. We have we borne the image of the fallen earthly man. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Notice the heavenly man. Interesting thought. So, back to our notes. So we are identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So we're going to move on to point E. Even though Christ did take a human nature in this world, he did, he is not from this world. And we identify with him when 
his humanity is separated from this world through death. We already saw that, right? From Romans 6, 3. We, we are identified with him in his death. Not his earthly life. So this is why he's the heavenly man. We're now of heaven. We're not of earth. We're of heaven. <clears throat> just want to make that point. I think it's an important point to make. Let's look at John 16, 28 and see Christ speaking of it himself. Where does he think he's from? 16, 28 says, I came from the Father. Okay, so that's not the same thing we could say. But he's saying, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now, I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. That's pretty clear. Thank you, Lord, for helping us understand your origins. We already read it in John 1, 1, where it says in the beginning, well, what beginning? Creation was the Word, and the Word was with the Father, God, the God, the Father. And the Word himself was, in essence, God. Well, he had to be. This was before creation of all things. He says, I, I, I came from the Father, entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. That seems pretty, pretty clear. And also John 17, 5, right? We, we covered this in our study recently. This is what Jesus is saying. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory, notice, I had with you before the world began. <clears throat> that's clear Christ is not from here this is why we call him the God man these verses are clear Christ did not originate here and even his humanity when we're identified with him it is in his death that means he was separated from this world doesn't mean he we're identified with him in his Jewish human nature that he, he was born in we, we don't we're not Jews because of his Jewish nature we are identified with him in his glorified state so if we go back to Romans chapter 6 I know this is not in your notes either but we could continue reading verse 4 we are we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father this raised from the dead through the glory of the father it's not just his death but his burial meaning his legal separation from this world right? we too may live a new life the new life that we're living is the glorified life Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. That's the life he now has in heaven. That's, that's what we take after. We don't take after. We're not born into or baptized into the humanity of Christ. We're baptized into the glorified humanity of Christ, uh, into the person of Christ who has now glorified humanity let's just be clear <clears throat> so so there's a couple few points left and we're going to close even as well so the first part of this is even as i am not of it right so that even as <clears throat> there's the greek word but i'm just going to say what that means 
according as, just as, even as, is the way they translated it, in proportion as, in degree that, seeing that, since seeing that agreeably to the fact that. These are all other ways the word can be used in Thayer's definitions. So you can see, but just as, even as, and the same proportion as, these are ways to understand how we are not of the world any more than Christ is of the world, or even as he is uh, not of it either. Point G. When we think about our not belonging to this world, we must rely and trust in the work of God for us in this unique age. Now, it's important. I know if I say to you, you're not of this world, that, listen, we don't feel like that's true of us. Yeah, I mean, we... we we were born here, our whole orientation is here, our, the knowledge, everything we have, our wisdom that we built up is all around the things of this world. But God is saying, I called you out of this world. I got a special plan for you. You are not just, you're, you, you were born in Adam, yeah, but now you bear the image of the heavenly. The God man. So just as Christ came into this world and he wasn't from here and now he left, he did his mission, now he, he calls us out, he baptizes us in Christ so that we can now share his glorified life. The person of Christ. We share everything he has. What is true of him is true of us. So I understand how it can seem odd how you are living in this world, but that's, this is not where you're from. You're pilgrims and strangers here. We have a mission. So if it does not, point H, if it does not seem real to us, what can we do? We just believe it by faith, right? That's what we, the first thing. First of all, if God is saying this about us, then it's true. Even if we don't feel that is true, or we don't see it, like God told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son. He laughed. But Abraham eventually was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He understood it. He came around to it because he continued to focus on the promise. And he said, well, if God said that, I, it's got to be true. I don't care if I'm old. I don't care if Sarah's old. If God said that, then he must mean it. It's going to happen. And, and I believe it. So I'm going to get busy building the crib for Isaac. I'm going to get busy making room for Isaac because he's going to be here for sure. And I know it. Abraham wrapped his thinking around the promise. So if it doesn't seem real to us, this is what God tells us to do. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Stop being conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, 2. God is saying there's, there's a way that you could feel, that you could think and orient to this new information. It is not only apprehended by faith, but that faith can turn into a hope. 
That's why it says, what are we looking for? We're looking for the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, we know he's going to come get us. We know we don't belong here. We know we have a heavenly home. All of this is true of us. Well, we have to be renewed in our minds. Yeah, because we naturally may not feel like we are somewhere, that we belong somewhere different from this world. We'll feel tied to this world. God has something different for us. So this is what we're saying. We have to stretch what God has given us beyond our human limitations. Because we're not dealing with a human being when we're talking about God. We're dealing with the eternal God. We will have to stop today and we'll continue next week with John 17, 17. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that you have given us in this age. We can only begin to see of the treasures, the hidden treasures that are in Christ. We thank you for choosing us in him before the creation of the world. Thank you for your grace, which saves us. We thank you for the work of Christ on our behalf, who died for all of our sins, so that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Thank you, Father. We pray for this church. We pray for those who are sick among us. We're asking for special prayer for uh, Lenora, and we're continuing to ask prayer for the Myers family and uh, the Guy family as well. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 <laughs>